All right, good evening. We are on lesson 12 of our Bible instruction class or our membership course here at Resurrection Lutheran Church. Lesson 12, page 78 in your workbook. And the title of this lesson is Honoring God. We're going to be looking a little bit more closely, especially at the first and second commandments as we get into uh, tonight's lesson. And there at the top of your page on page 78, following along in the blue box, you have the first commandment and the second commandment listed for you with their explanations. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we do not use his name to curse, swear, lie, or deceive, or use witchcraft, but call upon God's name in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. And so tonight, when we talk about honoring God, uh, tonight we're going to be looking for our example, for our Bible, you know, our Bible account that kind of provides an illustration of this, um, Exodus chapter 32. If you have a paper Bible, you can follow along there, or you can just follow along on the screen. Exodus chapter 32, um, verses 1 through 24. And this has the, the heading in at least this version of the Bible, the heading, the golden calf. Don't need to search for that. All right, the golden calf. Um, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 24. And the two summary points from your workbook as we get into this is, first, while Moses was on top of the mountain speaking to God, the Israelites were afraid. And they asked Aaron to make them a god out of gold. He made them a golden calf. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 24. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And I'm just going to pause there briefly. Um, in this translation, and probably in the Bible that you're using, um, the word Lord is in all capital letters. That is God's personal name for himself. So Aaron is probably trying to cover his tracks a little bit and say, well, we're actually worshiping the true God, just that now we're using this calf as a supplement to that, or we're gonna, we're gonna provide something visual for the people to, to worship, but we're actually worshiping the true God. Yeah. Aaron is, is quite disappointing in this, in this section. Um, Aaron is Moses's older brother, and he's the high priest. He's supposed to be the one who's leading the people in their spiritual life. And now he's the one who's leading them into idolatry. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and to drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
Notice what God says here. Go down, your people whom you brought up have become corrupt. Um, kind of like, you know, if the, one, of, one of the children makes a mess in the kitchen and one parent says to the other, go see what your son did in the kitchen, right? Uh, so pick it up in verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented, and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. Verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made, and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Yeah, Aaron. Disappointing. <laughs> All right. Um, so that is Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 24. And we already covered these summary statements there. Um, the Israelites were afraid, and they asked Aaron to make them a god out of gold. He made this golden calf. So number one, God had just rescued his people from their slavery in Egypt. He had worked many amazing plagues to, res to rescue them, and he even parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could cross over on dry ground. But once Moses was gone for a little while, what did they want Aaron to do? Pretty simple. Well, make them a statue. We don't know where he is. Make us a God who will go before us. Make a statue who will, who will be our God. Not good. <laughs> yeah, understatement of the day, right? Number two, Aaron went along with their idea, and he made a statue of a calf made out of gold. Whom did the people say that the newly made statue was? That was, that was verse four. We'll look at that briefly. Uh, scrolling back up, here we are. So Aaron took what they handed him. He made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, 
he fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So what did the people say? They said, These are the gods who rescued them from Egypt. Not a good idea. Uh, so in the explanation to the first commandment above, Martin Luther said that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And we're going to look at our supplemental passages from Proverbs 8, Psalm 86, and Psalm 34 to talk about what it means to fear God. So lesson 12, um, on your screen there, Proverbs 8, verse 13, the first part, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Okay, so a, a proper disgust and a proper hatred for what God hates. Um, you can, that's, that's the proper use of the word hate. It's to hate something that is evil, to hate what God hates. And then secondly, Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Give me wholehearted commitment to fear your name. So there, this fear of God is connected with a wholehearted commitment that, um, that we don't fear anything as much as we fear our God. And then finally, Psalm 34, 11 through 14. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who wants to find pleasure in life? Who would love to experience many good days? Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So the content of the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, he says in verse, verse 11. And then verses 13 and 14 talks about what the fear of the Lord is. Guard your tongue from evil, guard your lips from speaking deceit, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Which hopefully gets us a little bit closer to our definition. Our key, our key term to fear God means respecting God and his power and his will for us. That um, of all the things that we can be afraid of, <laughs> we should have a proper healthy respect and yes fear of god because he is holy and we are not and that will color everything that we do the choices that we make in what we do and in what we don't do because it really comes down to respect for god read psalm 73 verse 25 for a summary of what it means to love god that's right here at the top who else is there for me in heaven? And besides you, I desire no one else on earth. So loving God means valuing God and what he has done for us more than anything else in our lives. Indeed, even more than our lives themselves. That if somebody says, well, you know, you're a Christian and you believe and you love this one true God, I'll give you a million dollars and I'll let you live if you walk away from him. If I were to do that, that wouldn't be loving God above everything. That would be loving my own life and even loving personal gain more than loving my God, loving our God. Then finally, um, Psalm 124 and verse 8 and Psalm 121 to talk about trusting God. Psalm 121 is one of my favorites, and these two together are just beautiful reminders. Psalm 124, verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So our key term, to trust God, means relying on God more than anything else. And recognizing that, yes, God still is the one who provides for us in everything that we need. And he often does so in intermediary ways. You know, he provides you a job so that you can pay the bills and keep a house and have food on the table. Um, He provides a government so that there is some measure of peace and stability in our country. That sort of thing. Where God hides his work and he doesn't work directly very often. He sets up authorities in our lives that will provide these things for us. Okay. Number three. Oh, we have one more key term here. Uh, the term idle. So we don't always fear, love, and trust God above all things. When we fail to do that, we create an idol. That is a false god for ourselves, like the Israelites did with the golden calf statue. So our key term an idol or a false god, is anything that we fear, love, or trust more than the true God. Number three, Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, and Luke 16, verse 13. The question, what sorts of things do people make into idols? That is, false gods. Uh, Joshua 24 is there on your screen. Joshua said to the Israelites, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him wholeheartedly and faithfully. Remove the gods that your fathers served in the region across the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if you see no benefit in serving the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whomever you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." beautiful statement of faith and luke 16 verse 13 jesus said no servant can serve two masters indeed he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and mammon mammon is um, a greek term for you know basically the things of this world um anything visible or physical that you can see and touch. Um, Yeah. All right, now we're set up for our next one. Let's see. So what sorts of things do people make into idols or false gods? The the verse verse from Joshua, as for me, he says, throw out the gods that that your forefathers had served. And, um, And then Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. So idols uh, might include false religions, um, famous people, maybe work, you know, anything that you can add a holic to at the end. Somebody is a workaholic and they find their, their status and their comfort and their, their fulfillment in that work. Uh, maybe school friends, um, money or power or the things that money can buy, the status, the, the clothes, the cars, the stuff, um, all the electronics all the time, whatever it may be. Where does, where does our attention go? Where do our thoughts go? Where does our money go? Um, where does our time go? Even if it's, you know, things like my relaxation, my downtime, my vacation time, my me time. 
how often are those things worming their way into our hearts as something that that we really love, not as necessarily a blessing from God, but as something that I need for me to do right now. Something to watch out for and pay attention to. All right, next term. This, these two terms kind of, kind of can be helpful. Um, open idolatry and the contrast is secret idolatry that we'll see in just a minute. Open idolatry is when somebody openly worships a false god and that is, you know, every every religion outside of Christianity, and every religion that that puts a greater emphasis on what you do rather than what Jesus has done, even within Christianity. Uh, so, when o- someone openly worships a false god, such as worshiping a statue, practicing a false religion, following superstition, um, and buying into that, that's open idolatry. The contrast would be secret idolatry. When someone privately worships a false god and privately trusting money to take care of them, making work or fun or relaxation more important than God. You know, it's easy to talk about trusting in God when you have a job and you've got cash in the bank and and all the bills are current and you're even ahead on some. It's easy to trust God when the pantry is full. But how much of that trust in God is really trust in the things that we can see and the things that we can count and the things that we can measure. And one of the, one of the prophets, I think it was, um, I think it was Zephaniah. I'd have to go back and look. It's only three chapters long. Maybe it's Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter three, um, where he says, you know, even, even when, even when things are not happening, as they should. Maybe I back at three. Is this the one? Oh, beautiful. We're gonna call an audible here. Um, Habakkuk three, verse 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And um, and just, I mean, Habakkuk is a beautiful book. It's only three chapters long. It's, um, it's like chapter one is Habakkuk's complaint to God. Chapter two is God's response to Habakkuk. And then chapter three is Habakkuk's prayer in response to God's response. So anyway, what he's saying here, is uh, is it's an, a beautiful example of trust in God that even though he doesn't see how God is going to continue to provide for him he says even though that's the case I will still rejoice and be joyful in God my savior all right so secret idolatry when someone privately worships a false god such as you know trusting money and the things that we can see to take care of us um, rather than trusting the God who wants to work through those Number four, what makes open idolatry so dangerous? A couple of ideas. You could probably come up, you know, name one or two things. Maybe, you know, just the fact that it's idolatry. Um, Well, it easily spreads. It easily spreads and other people will join in and other people will lead you away and reinforce your thinking. And what makes secret idolatry so dangerous? Well, it's hidden. <laughs> it can erode and eventually destroy our faith in God. 
If no one knows about our idolatry, they won't use God's word to confront it. Number, next part, um, just above the bottom box there on page 79. One way to sin against this knowledge, this commandment, is to completely ignore um, the natural knowledge of God that we are all born with. Read Psalm 53, verse 1a, which addresses an atheist. Um, and that'll be right here. Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And why that is foolish is that the existence of God is evident and is clearly seen in nature. That nature around us shows that God exists. So our key term, an atheist, is somebody who says that God isn't real. Um, previous generation, you might say, well, yeah, previous generation would be like Richard Dawkins um, or Christopher Hitchens. They were very vocal and, um, and I'm, I, can't, I can't think of anybody else offhand from even before them. Um, but more modern, um, people who are still very active and ardent atheists today, maybe the best example would be Sam Harris. Um, he even has his own podcast. And, uh, and he's, he's very popular um, because he appeals to human reason. But human reason is, of course, fallen and corrupted by sin. And God says that it's foolish to deny the existence of God. Uh, top of page 80. Number six. How does the first commandment serve as a mirror for us, the second use of the law? Well, the first commandment shows our sin. Shows us the times we have made something or someone a God in our lives in place of the true God. So how have we sinned against the first commandment? Well, have something or someone in place of the true God. How did Jesus keep the first commandment in our place through his act of obedience? That's where Jesus actively keeps the commandment, um, and then his holy, his perfect record is counted as ours. Jesus always obeyed God. He made God's will important, more important than his own, even when it meant dying on the cross. <clears throat> How did Jesus solve our continued breaking? Of the first commandment through his passive obedience? Well, Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He paid the punishment for our sins on the cross. Number nine, how did the first commandment serve as a guide, the third use of the law for us, a guide for thankful Christian living? We talked about this back in lesson 11. You can check that out on the podcast or at YouTube as well, or just page back in your workbook. How does the first commandment serve as a guide for us? Well, out of thanks to God, we keep God as our top priority. All right, and that's, the, that's a thankful, joyful thing for a Christian to do. And so the green box there on page 80, um, honoring the true God means, yes, on the left-hand side, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And refrain from, on the right-hand side, refrain from worshiping false gods, um, refrain from denying the Trinity, because if you deny the Trinity, then it doesn't matter what you call that God, but uh, then you're not worshiping the true God. The only one true God is the triune God as revealed in the Bible. Or finally, um, if we were to trust in wealth, our possessions, intelligence, or other people more than God, and that list could go on for a very long time. 
but if we trust in anything more than we trust in God. Next part, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23, Jesus warns against false prophets. All right. And the two summary statements in your workbook. Um, Jesus wants us to be careful not to let people teach us wrong things about God's word. And then secondly, we should use God's name only in ways that he wants and that bring him glory. Uh, beginning in verse 15, highlighted on the screen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me you evildoers. All right, this is the word of our God from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. Number 10, to what does Jesus compare a false teacher? Talking about a wolf wearing sheep's clothing and a bad tree bearing bad fruit. You can see the results of, of what they teach. And that's, that's one thing that that I probably could make a little bit more clear in some you know, sermons or whatever, that the purpose, one of the effects, rather, of the Christian faith should be relief and joy. Um, one of the effects of false teaching will be a sense of panic and worry and guilt. And if you're feeling guilt, talk to your pastor, because your pastor should point you to Jesus. If your pastor points you back to what you should do or what you should not do, then you're in the wrong place. So talking about a bad tree bears bad fruit. A wolf wearing sheep's clothing, a wolf likes to disguise himself, um, that false prophets don't walk around with a sign, hey, I'm a false prophet, you should come listen to me. No. <laughs> yeah. Number 11, why is it dangerous if someone teaches things that are wrong but claims to be teaching God's word? That it, and it's not just a matter of interpretation. Um, that's one of the simplest answers that is that is so very wrong. Um, it could hurt our faith because we start believing the wrong things. Scripture isn't open to private interpretation. That if somebody has a difference in teaching, then that must mean they have a different understanding and a different way of reading the Bible and a different sense of the authority that is connected to that Bible. Either the Word of God is trustworthy and will interpret itself, um, that's the way the Bible presents itself, that it is trustworthy, and if you look at the Word of God, it will interpret itself. It will provide the understanding that we need. But if somebody else has an external authority, like another person or a council or a book, um, then they'll say, oh, it's just a matter of interpretation. And this is our interpretation. You can have other interpretations. No, <laughs> the Bible's clear. 
And if someone teaches things that are wrong, but claims to be teaching God's word, um, they're going to take glory away from Jesus. They're going to leave people feeling guilty when they shouldn't be. They're going to leave people feeling, you know, they're going to be condoning and encouraging sin when they shouldn't be. And they're going to be leaving the question open to doubt. Am I truly forgiven? Or do I need to do these things in order to be forgiven? Top of page 81. In the second commandment, we are commanded not to misuse God's name. Read John 17, verses 6, 7, and 8 for a brief summary of God's name. That's right here. John 17, verses 6 through 8, Jesus prayed, I revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have held on to your word. Now they know that everything you have given to me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they received them. They learned the truth that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. Okay. So our key term, everything that we know about God from the Bible, including his titles and what he has done for us. So we're not just talking about the, the names that we use for God, such as God or Lord or Triune God or Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, all those terms. It's also his reputation. That is everything that he tells us about himself in the Bible. The way I like to describe this is the last I checked, there are 26 other people named Peter Hagen on Facebook. Uh, with the same spelling and everything. Um, but only one of them has been called to serve as pastor at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Maumee. Even though we share the same name, we don't share the same name. <laughs> we don't share the same reputation or responsibility. We aren't the same people. And so when we talk about God's name, we're talking about his reputation. We're talking about what he has told us about himself in the Bible. Next part, we can misuse God's name by teaching wrong things about God we can also use God's name improperly when we use it to curse someone. Read Romans 12, verse 14 to explain what it means to curse. Romans 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Let's see how helpful that is. Well, to curse means using God's name. What are we sharing right now? Sorry. There we are. To curse is to use God's name to wish harm on someone else. Cursing is the opposite of blessing. So to call down God's anger, asking God to, to damn something or condemn someone or something, um, that's a curse. Swear. Um, and here we're not just talking about straight up profanity, even though that may be unpleasant. You know, you think of profanity as basically all the synonyms for, for feces, you know, kind of bathroom talk. <laughs> but if we swear by God's name to cover up a lie, we are swinning, sinning. Swear is swinning. Um, swear means to call God as your witness. So Matthew 5 verses 33 through 37 to talk about swearing. Um, Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, Do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, because it is God's throne, and not be by earth, because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. 
Do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. So swearing um, is using God's name to assure someone that you are telling the truth. It is wrong to swear by God's name needlessly or to cover up a lie. It is proper and permissible to swear, you know, in a courtroom. Place your hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. And there you are calling God as your witness that my word is true. Um, it is proper to swear when you are married. You are taking a serious oath before God and before those people, calling God as your witness that you faithfully and firmly intend to remain faithful to your marriage vow and to that person that you are marrying. But um, those are really the only two circumstances where it comes into play. Number 12, in Martin Luther's explanation to the second commandment, he urges us not to use God's name for witchcraft, which is trying to use the power of the devil to learn or do things. Where might we see witchcraft or other superstitions being used around us? And once you, once you have this idea in your mind about what is witchcraft and other you know, superstitious activity around us, um, then this becomes a lot more prevalent than maybe you first thought. Um, it would include Ouija boards and palm readers, horoscopes, good luck charms, people who practice witchcraft and magic, um, such as the Wiccans, um, and others. Um, and even superstition would be that sense of karma. You know, the, the whole concept of karma comes from Hinduism, which says, I get what I deserve, basically. And so if I want good things to happen to me, I need to act in a way that is honorable and ethical. And then karma is going to come around and bless me. And if something bad happens to you, then God, then the gods are just getting back at you for whatever it is that you did. Karma is, is going to get you, right? Um, that's another superstition. And it's false and it's wrong. And we don't want to lend our our name of Christian to that. You know, no Christian Christians shouldn't be buying into this term, this idea of karma. Um, and it, it's something that, you know, you consider a little bit more closely before you even, you know, joke about it, that you want to make sure that you're not giving the impression that you believe this is a real thing, because um, it's not. Number 13, read Psalm 50, 145, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, and the first petition, how should we use God's name? This is like all the rest of the passages in this section, I think. Um, Psalm 50, call on me in the day of distress, I will deliver you and you will honor me. Psalm 145, everyone you have made will thank you, O Lord, and the ones you favor will bless you. They will tell about the glory of your kingdom, and they will speak about your might, to make known his might to the children of Adam, to make known the glorious splendor of his kingdom. Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, by always giving thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 3, going on to the top of the next page here, I believe. Regard the Lord, the Christ, as holy in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in, let's scroll back up here, for the hope that is in you, 
but speak with gentleness and respect while maintaining a clear conscience. And there at the bottom of page 81, the first petition to the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy by itself, but we pray in this petition that we too may keep it holy. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when his word is taught in its truth and purity, and we as children of God lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But whoever teaches and lives contrary to God's word dishonors God's name among us. Keep us from doing this, dear Father in heaven. So number 13, how should we use God's name? Well, to ask him for help, to praise and thank him, and to tell others what he has done for them. Top of page 82, number 14. When is the expression, oh my God, a sin against the second commandment? Definitely something worth thinking about when using it to show surprise or as a casual reaction. Like if you could substitute the word wow <laughs> or ooh, ouch, <laughs> um, then that would be an inappropriate time to be using God's name. When... Number 15, when is it appropriate to say, oh my God? Well, when it's used as a very short prayer and with sincerity. Yeah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A prayer of Jesus from the cross. That was not him sinning. That was him crying out directly to God in prayer. Which kind of leads us into that, um, that chart on page 82, if you're following along here. It's in green, that God's name is everything that God reveals about himself in his word in order to bless and save us. That means we use his name to call on him, call on him in times of trouble, to pray regularly, to praise him, and to give thanks. And that means we also refrain from cursing, that is, calling down God's judgment on someone or something, swearing, calling God as our witness when it is not you know, a legal obligation of standing and getting married or testifying in court, um, we don't use God's name to lie, that is, especially when it comes to doctrine and teaching, to say that something is Christian truth when it actually isn't, is you know, dangerous and wrong. Um, we don't use God's name superstitiously, as though it's a magic charm, and if we just say the right thing and do the right thing, you know, before we leave on a trip or whatever the case may be, then God will make sure that we show up there safely and on time. Uh, we don't use God's name in getting, we, well, just plain and simple, we don't get involved in the occult. Um, that is, you know, magic, basically. Um, and we don't use God's name. We don't neglect to use God's name. And that God gives us his name so that we use it to call upon him to pray, praise, and give thanks. So number 16, how does the second commandment serve as a mirror for us? Well, it shows that we have misused God's name and haven't used it to praise him as we should. How did Jesus keep the second commandment in our place through his act of obedience for us? Well, Jesus perfectly used God's name uh, to praise him and tell others what God had done for them. Number 18, how does Jesus solve how did Jesus solve our continued breaking of the second command through his passive obedience? When Jesus died, he, you know, passive, he allowed himself to be crucified. 
He paid the price for every time that we have misused God's name. And how does the second commandment serve as a guide, a guide for thankful Christian living for us? Well, we want to use God's name properly to thank him, especially by sharing what he's done with all people. Connection question, top of page 83. Number one, agree or disagree. Anytime we sin, we are also breaking the first commandment. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Agree or disagree? What do you think? Well, yes. Because anytime we sin, we're making our own desires our false god. We are dismissing what God says in his word and saying, but this is what I want to do right now, and it's not going to hurt anybody, and it's just me, and and I've got the right to do this because fill in the blank, because I need I, whatever, you know, any, any sort of the logical, um, irrational, and sinful explanations that people would have for avoiding listening to the Word of God. And then letter B, false gods threaten to push God out of your heart and can be different for each individual. Identify some of those false gods that threaten you. What steps can you take to refocus your heart on the true God? Um, actually, we'll borrow this guy. Copy. Paste. Um, false gods, there, you know, think about your know, emotion, attention, time, uh, money. And your priorities and calendar, um, and particularly what makes you what gets you upset. You know whether whether it makes you angry or really sends you into into a downward spiral of of sadness or whatever the case may be. What really riles up your emotions in a good way. And um, if you keep following that, that thought, chances are you'll find a false god or, or a desire or a want that is not the true god. Okay? And together with that, We also offer, um, because the, the issue of money is one that is of ongoing worry for a lot of people. Um, and yeah, I'll just leave it at that for, for a lot of people. And, and it's something that we need to be very wise about in our use of it. And I encourage you to check out our home finance webinar. Um, if you go to our website, raisedwithjesus.com or resurrectionmommy.com, um, then our home finance webinar is there. You will need a workbook. We have workbooks available at church, or of course, contact me, Pastor Hagen, and I can get one for you. But I encourage that, especially for all um, all new newlyweds. I encourage to go through that, work through that together, um, as well as you know, if it's just something that you and your spouse have never sat down and talked about together, or even if you're on your own, it can work for singles, can work for teens, can work for anybody. Um, to talk about how do we use this tool of money that God has given us to be a blessing? How do we use this properly so it, you know, misuse of it doesn't doesn't destroy our lives and and bring shame to our name and to the name of our Lord? Okay, so check that out at our website and um, and contact me if you'd like a 
a copy of the workbook. There's even a contact form on our website. Just go to raisingwithjesus.com and keep scrolling on down and you'll see it. So homework uh, there in the box on page 83. Pa review pages 46 to 58 and 248 to 253 in the catechism. Um, number of terms that we learned tonight and some other reading in the catechism. If you have any questions, be sure to contact me, Pastor Hagen, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-G-E-N at iCloud.com or 419-262-8280. And finally, if you haven't subscribed yet, um, check out Raised with Jesus, the RWJ Daily. If you just search for RWJ in your podcast app, you'll find all three of our podcasts. So RWJ Daily, Raised with Jesus. And RWJ membership is the recordings from this class. I want to thank you for participating tonight or today, <laughs> anytime. God bless your day.